Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners for Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Security Token Show. I'm your host, Kyle Sondland, joined, as always, by my co-host, Herbert Konings, here in sunny Miami, Florida. And we are here for another amazing episode. We're talking about security tokens, real-world assets, equity, debt, real estate, on the blockchain, how it's going around the world. But before we get into all of the updates this week, which there were certainly a few big things that we want to highlight, cannot wait to get that to you. But before we do that, we got to talk about our sponsor. This week is Invest Ready. Invest Ready is a great company that focuses specifically on accreditation. As you may know, certainly here in the United States, it is paramount that you make sure that the right investors are participating in your deal. It also is relevant internationally with regards to who they are and where the money's coming from. And so you need to make sure you're working with compliant technology providers that can help you do that at a effective cost point. That's exactly what Invest Ready does specifically for accreditation of investors. We really appreciate all the help that they do for the industry being an important piece to the puzzle in terms of capital formation, but also for sponsoring the show. Thanks to Adrian and team for sponsoring this week's show. Absolutely. And a little shout out, full disclosure, also a co-founder. So definitely check out InvestReady. But now with the rest of the show, we've got the latest news, the latest offerings, what's happening in the secondary markets, a look inside the metaverse, and this week's main topic, tokenized IPOs. So if you're ready for all that, let's kick in with our top five. And moving into our top five headlines that you need to know this week, we're kicking it off with number one. Singapore digital asset marketplace Alta, A-L-T-A, has acquired HG Exchange. If you don't remember, HG Exchange is also based in Singapore. They had their digital securities trading license. So you could actually trade tokenized securities through the platform. It is now being fully rebranded to the Alta Exchange. It seems that Alta raised capital specifically for this M&A event with Philips Securities, Nomura Holdings, who's been very active in this industry, as well as Integro Partners and Prime Partners. We're all involved here in facilitating an M&A transaction for Ulta to acquire the licenses of HD Exchange, similar to what we saw with Open Finance and INX a few years ago here in the United States, and something that we expect to see certainly more and oh, yeah. more as this industry begins to consolidate. And Ulta's Exchange, they have some stats of their lifetime statistics thus far, over 600 million in transaction volume to date, as well as $22 billion in market cap of assets. We're doing everything we can to get more insight into that market on STM.co. That's a huge, huge acquisition. And obviously goes to show you how much is happening over in Singapore when it comes to security tokens. Number two, we've got the French Burgundy uh, wine collection launching through ADDX, that's ADX in Singapore, yet again. Uh, this time, about a million dollars worth of wines from the 06 to 020 uh, collection. 
Uh, definitely a lot of rare vintage wines in there worth a couple hundred dollars to thousands of dollars in wine. And supposedly, uh, according to Addicts, about 137% return in the wine asset class uh, over a decade or so. So that's a pretty strong return, obviously. Um, definitely an opportunity to also get into wine and diversify. So I think a very cool and novel thing happening over in Singapore with, um, what is the, the name of the firm? Provenance uh, Treasuries. Provenance Treasuries, Kyle. Very good. Congratulations, Provenance Treasuries. And moving into number three, DBS has officially launched and succeeded in moving their DeFi transaction pilot in coordination with JP Morgan, of course, who was heavily involved, and SBI, another familiar face we've seen in a lot of these institutional debt offering transactions. This time, they were settling and clearing securities using two fiat stablecoins, the Japanese yen, as well as the Singapore dollar, and settling specifically government securities from both Singapore and Japan. So they were essentially settling government debt, government securities, using fiat stable coins on chain, all in a smart contract, private environment, presumably through the Onyx platform or tangentially using a lot platform. of that technology. Yep. And so this is another huge step. As we see, this will scale tremendously. Once they get the piping done, then they will ramp up the volume because the great thing about securities, specifically with smart contracts, is it'll execute the same way every time. It's very repeatable once you can get those things moving forward. This is huge news. Yeah, monumental, one would say. This is you know backed by the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, Project Guardian. So this is as legit as it gets, folks. Lots of buzzwords in there. Japanese yen being tokenized. You got the JP Morgan tokenized cash deposits. Even uh, Av and Uniswap as DeFi components were brought into this whole mix. Uh, definitely a lot of great things worth checking out. Number four, We've got the SEC with the alignment of Ripple filing a motion to delay the summary judgment when it comes to the Ripple and SEC case. That's obviously big news, but what we've seen in the last few weeks is roughly a dozen companies, including Coinbase, most of all, writing amicus briefs to the court case. What that means is these independent companies are submitting legal briefs that they would like the case, uh, specifically the judge, to consider uh, as a part of the whole Case. So now that there's literally a dozen this late, you know, there was supposed to be a summary judgment on November 15th. So now with this much new information, the SEC is asking for a delay uh, to November 30th. So we'll see if we get a, an official judgment on November 30th from the judge, which has been, uh, you know, I think two years or so or longer in the making, folks. This is crazy. A lot of implications there for the rest of the cryptocurrency industry. We've done episodes on what if all cryptos are securities in the past. I actually think last week's episode's main topic, which you should check out. But number five, we have another stablecoin, another fiat currency coming into the blockchain space, this time also sponsored by a large government and a large GDP, this one coming from India. They are launching a digital rupee pilot program using a wholesale CBDC. Now let's talk about that jargon. CBDC, what does that stand for? Central Bank Digital Currency. And so wholesale CBDCs are the ones that the banks use between themselves. Retail CBDC would be one that the average person is using. This is just inside of those bank-to-bank -bank transfers, similar to what we saw with DBS and Singapore, this time state-sponsored, and it's got nine of the largest Indian banks, including their largest bank, 
the State Bank of India. So the largest banks participating in another testnet trial in India. This comes after a 30% tax was put on digital asset transactions by India this year. So even though they're putting taxes on this stuff, they are not trying to stifle innovation. Big stuff happening over in India, maybe taking a, a page out of China's playbook, which has had a digital uh, bank central currency for over a year now uh, and very, very active across the country. And if you like all that, we've got even more with Annie Yancey. So let's head over to her for the rest of the industry news. Happy Crown Rising, everyone. I hope your weekend was amazing and that you're ready for your industry news. First off, we have Hong Kong introduce a proposal to allow retail investors to trade cryptocurrencies. The city had previously limited crypto trades to professional investors only and received backlash for it. They are also examining the property rights for crypto for a process for legalizing smart contracts. This is a huge move since it could lay the groundwork to offer real estate industry security token offerings in the future. If Hong Kong's plan goes through, it would make a further divergence from mainland China, which has banned crypto trading. Next up, we have Onera back in the spotlight. This week, they are transferring their XDAX to distribute digital securities over the Onera FinP2P network. XDAX works with companies and institutions to raise funds in a fast and secure way through blockchain technology. In the process, they make these private market investments opportunities accessible to investors via fractionalized ownership. The partnership with Onera will provide an additional channel for SDX investors to trade these private market digital securities over a global ecosystem. This is a great since it is opening possibilities for both investors and issuers. I am looking forward to seeing how these will open up the floor for higher, higher liquidity and more access to capital and assets. Following up, there's Goldman Sachs set to unveil a data service with global index provider MSCI and crypto data firm Coinmetrics. The data service seeks to classify hundreds of digital coins and tokens. They're trying to create a framework for the digital asset ecosystem their clients can understand. This will allow institutional investors to make sense of the new asset class. They believe their clients increasingly need to think about performance tracking and risk management in digital assets. The new service is called Datonomy and can be accessed as a subscription-based data feed or through Marquee, which is Goldman's digital storefront for institutional investors. For our last news, we have JP Morgan. They have used po the Polygon blockchain to trade tokenized cash deposits. The trade occurred as part of the Monetary Authority Singapore MAS project. The tokenization experiment completed trials for foreign exchange and the trading of government bonds powered by crypto lending protocol Aave and the centralized exchange DEX Uniswap. Additionally, JP Morgan built on chain verification of verifiable credentials to provide compliant access to Aave and other DeFi protocols. The aim was to eliminate DeFi front ends from needing to do KYC checks. Aave Company CEO called the blockchain trade a monumental step toward for, for DeFi. Okay, folks, that's all I have for this week. I'll catch you next week with more industry news. Hello, tokenizers. Welcome back to STO Updates. Let's get into this week's suspects. First up from Adex, we have more luxury goods being tokenized, specifically French Burgundy wine. Adex is a Singapore-based, full-service capital market platform, and they have tokenized this portfolio of vintage French wines sourced from the top wineries in the Burgundy region of France. 
Most of the vintage wines carried the Grand Cru title, which is the top tier classification for French wine. The vintage year of the wine falls between 2006 and 2020, and each bottle ranges from hundreds of dollars to thousands of dollars. The tokenization of this portfolio gives investors fractional access to the wine investment deal. The primary subscription for the wine tokens was completed at 83 cents in the Singapore dollar denomination, and the minimum subscription size was at least 1,000 tokens or $830. The tokens can now be traded on the secondary market via the ADEX exchange. Providence Treasures, a licensed wholesale wine and alcohol trading company, is the manager of this portfolio. 234 bottles of wine with a worth of $696,000 have been purchased and delivered by Providence Treasures. Another 125 bottles with a worth of around $386,000 are expected to arrive in Singapore this month as well. For more on this story and where it originally was published, head over to securities.io where you can find more information. Next up, we have Kodo Assets. They are introducing a new way to invest in real estate through tokenization, which we have frequently seen become very popular. The first of its kind Brazil-based blockchain and real estate project has recently announced it's launching a real estate tokenization platform called Kodo Assets. Their first property to be tokenized is a commercial property located on the Feria Lima Avenue, a prime area of the city of Sao Paulo. The main revenue expected to be received from this property is via rent. The yearly profitability expectation for the token is 6% until June of 2023, and the resulting value after fees will be distributed as dividends in the Kodo 1, which emits the token that represents inherent rights to the property and to do so, Kodo Assets will take care of the distribution of the revenue to the owners of each token to each of their wallets, and the payment will be done using USDC. The company will issue a total of 25,000 tokens for this property, each sold for $140, and the minimum purchase is one Kodo token. There are no limits to how many can be purchased, and the total offer value is $3.5 million US dollars. The sales are expected to happen around November of 2022, so very soon. This story is directly from Global Newswire, where you can find the full press release and more. That is all for this week, so I'll see you next week, but now I'll send it over to SJS.eth for a little screaming. Hello and happy Monday! The security token market cap has stabilized at $14.71 billion. INX has began November strong, up over 11% on the month. They're still trading at a 35% discount to their open price in July of 2021, but have shown very strong signs as of late. And welcome to the top 10 Farm AG token with the ticker perfectly fitting eggs. Eggs has opened with just over $60 million market cap. Farmy Solutions allows offline retailers to set up an online shop within a few months and without cost and labor intensive investments. They act as an end-to-end -end technology service provider and offer scalable apps and processes as well as further consulting. They went live last week on Actionaria and they will be a very exciting company to watch in the coming months. In not so great news, Exus is now down over 90% from its open in September of 2021 as buyers have been nowhere to be found. The digital wallet has not caught a bid in months and the market cap has plummeted to under $10 million. With a strong user base and continued growth, keep your eyes on Exodus if the market turns to the upside. 
We are seeing a clear divergence between security tokens, cryptocurrency, and traditional market movements. This could be in part due to lower volumes and wider spreads with security tokens, but also likely means some sector independence is forming, which is a strong sign for all industries. In other news, Hong Kong is weighing a proposal to allow retail investors to trade cryptocurrencies as the leaders try to boost their financial hub's global competitiveness. The city previously proposed limiting crypto trades to only professional investors and institutions, which drew criticism from that they were stifling innovation while prompting startups and crypto firms to settle in cities like Dubai and Singapore, taking away revenue from the country. The city's moves could lay the groundwork for offering real estate STOs, scary tokens, which are blockchain-derived tokens that allow property owners to receive the income from the real assets and can be bought anywhere around the world. If Hong Kong's plan goes through, it would mark a further divergence from the mainland China, which has banned crypto trading and has stifled any innovation. That's all for now, but have an amazing rest of your week, and I'll see you next Monday. Wakey wakey, welcome to Inside the Metaverse with your host, Eve Van Gogh. The new schools, Parsons School of Design, and Roblox partner to educate on digital fashion. It is one of the world's leading institutions for art and design education, while Roblox is at the forefront of immersive 3D shared experiences that connect more than 50 million people daily. This combination could prove to be an electric one, but only time can tell. Next, Elrond rebrands as Multiverse X as a major move towards a metaverse rebrand. The formerly known brand known as Elrond, the company will move forward under the new name Multiverse S with the introduction of three new Metaverse Forward products, X Fabric, X Portal, and X Worlds, are the three new tools behind the rebrand, all of which aim to help the Metaverse creators and users bring life to this new called Metaverse. Moving forward, Gucci's virtual world is now expanded to the sandbox. Expanding to its Gucci Vault Metaverse Hub and making it the first major fashion brand to have its own space on the platform. Players can win digital collectible NFTs that they can wear in either the sandbox lands. Gucci Vault NFT holders will also receive a Gucci Vault oral collectible item that their avatars can wear in the sandbox, showing their loyalty to Gucci in the new Metaverse space. And last but not least, Game of Thrones is expanding into the metaverse with new NFTs. Within the NFT packs to be sold, fans can get their hands on virtual weapons, iconic moments, and favorite characters from the show. By buying these NFTs, fans can build virtual realms and live out their Game of Thrones fantasies in the digital world. That was Inside the Metaverse with your host, Eve Van Cole. Thank you, Eves, and the rest of the news team for all of that amazing security token news. And of course, now we've got our very popular segment, Companies of the Week. That's where Kyle and I, we each choose one company that we thought made the biggest moves in the space last week and deserves a little spotlight. So Kyle, kicking it off for episode 165, who do you nominate? Well, my nomination this week comes off the heels of me being in the LA Blockchain Summit. I want to shout out the Draper Gorin home team, Alan and Joseph, do such a great job organizing those events. I was lucky enough to be a moderator of a tremendous panel with some incredibly, incredibly insightful individuals. We'll certainly send you the video. Make sure you can catch that when it's live. But on my panel, I was joined by Oyichu, who is the CEO of Adex, 
And they had a really big announcement that came out this week. It made our top five. You heard about it in Megan's segment, and now you're hearing it from me. Wanted to shout out Provenance Treasures, who's putting together a 350-bottle, million-dollar wine investment that they are creating as essentially a fund that you can buy shares of as little as like $1,000, or I think it's maybe $300 or something yeah, in, in the conversion. Like yeah. And... Uh, and you can get involved and access into the wine industry. It's had tremendous returns over the last decade. It's also a super innovative investment. You just can't really get access to. If you want to invest in alcohol, your best bet's probably going InBev or Anheuser-Busch or one of these large companies. Or you gotta go figure out which bottles are the best yourself. Or you're that's buying hard. bottles. It's like real estate, right? You have to either buy the property itself or this awkward read. You gotta custody the bottles. Exactly right. This is not that. This is the newest iteration in the alcohol style funds. We saw Wave Financial do a whiskey fund. We saw the Faroe Islands also did a whiskey distillery, but now we're into wine. This time, French Burgundy wine from anywhere from 2006 to 2020 in this grand chew collection. So shout out to Provenance Treasures for launching this fund. It's a super innovative product to market. I'm excited to see more security tokens. Love that choice, Kyle. I think that's another one of these kind of building blocks in the security token world where one day when I'm building a portfolio, I'll very easily be able to pick from real estate tokens, you know, gold tokens, stable coins, also wine tokens, as well as many other investment types. So great choice. How about you? Well, I have to give mine to Athena Intelligence. We got big news that they've officially released their first due diligence report on security tokens. Uh, so they actually chose Spice VC, which was one of the very first security tokens in the industry to do their report on. And uh, obviously I'm giving them my company of the week because we need this in this industry. Uh, you know, professional investors, they want this in advice. They have in-depth analysis, red flags, potentially, team assessments, corporate history, assets review, legal, financials, and a reputation review all encompassed in this report. And they actually score it too, Kyle, which I think is kind of cool. They gave it an 82 out of 100. And the report is free to, to download on the tokenizer. So I think that's all really great stuff for the industry. I hope a lot of people get to learn about the Spice VC token uh, and maybe be able to make better decisions for themselves. So for that reason, congratulations, Athena Intelligence. You're my company of the week. That's a great one. Certainly driving transparency into these markets is huge in getting new institutions to feel comfortable in doing the proper diligence on these deals. Something that, of course, crypto is incredibly difficult with doing. These are securities, so therefore there should be much more resources to be able to diligence these investments. Makes a ton of sense. And with that, Kyle, I think we can jump right into our main topic. Let's get it. So moving into our main topic this week, we are talking about tokenized IPOs. Now, this is kind of a certainly a significant topic that we need to first unpack. When we're talking about an IPO, we're talking about the initial public offering, which traditionally was where a company would go public on the stock market. Usually they would raise a couple of rounds, meaning they would raise a few million up to 10 or hundreds of millions of dollars from private investors that don't have stock to trade. They're just making a direct investment into the company. And then at some point they reach a a threshold where they decide to go public on the stock market using an investment bank and list so that others can trade their shares. Obviously, with security tokens, we are drastically changing how this process goes. 
because these are now public offerings much, much earlier than traditionally. And not only public from a retail versus institutional access, but these are now liquid investments much earlier, even if it's the same investor base, now with a security token, by leveraging tokenization technology, the transfer between parties is much more seamless and allows significant benefits to every party involved. And so that's why I think this main topic is really, really fun. It also comes on the heels of the fact that INX has been a leader in tokenizing IPOs. They actually conducted the very first tokenized IPO, as they call it. It's not actually equity like what we traditionally would see in the IPO markets, but it still is an IPO nonetheless, as they filed the same forms that are required from any company going IPO. They did that, raised tens of millions, I believe it was close to $85 million that they were able to raise in that offering. It now trades on a secondary market. This is something that is unprecedented in the public markets, traditionally and historically. INX has led that charge and we're seeing others, we're seeing more licenses come to market. We're seeing the Boston Security Token Exchange that wants to provide similar services for additional clients. This is starting to pick up momentum. I think it's incredibly relevant to talk about today. Absolutely. It's a rarer aspect, I think, in the industry that's talked about, but we're going to talk about some of the use cases like INX. We're going to talk about how this actually, you know, uh, is different from Wall Street, how potentially it is disruptive uh, and potentially destructive, uh, as well as the benefits. You know, now we're talking about tokenization versus just the traditional shares held on Wall Street, which we've seen plenty of problems with, i.e. GameStop. And last but not least, we're gonna give you our opinions on the future. So Kyle, with that, why don't we give our readers some, or viewers a, a better understanding first, again, like you were breaking down in IPOs, it's not a private offering, it's officially going public. You don't need to be on the New York Stock Exchange or on NASDAQ to be a public company. That simply just means that you're registering with the SEC so that the SEC now makes sure that you follow rules because anybody can invest in your stock. Penny stocks are public, those rules. right? Exactly right. So IPOs can come in all forms and standards. It's not because you need a multi-billion dollar company, which we see plenty of today. Why? Because maybe Wall Street is too expensive, but we're going to get into that first, Kyle. Break down the INX offering, and let's talk about what a tokenized IPO actually looks like. Sure. So as we talked about, IPO is really a, a general term. There's no set standard. Traditionally, for the, the way that it would work in old Wall Street would be you would go through, you work with an investment bank. This is a somebody that has the proper licenses to underwrite your deal. This basically means that they're putting up a lot of cash as an IOU, and then you're going on a roadshow where you're essentially pitching to a lot of other investment bankers trying to get them to buy a piece of that allocation. So JP Morgan might say, fine, we'll give you 300 million, but we're gonna to try to sell that 300 million of allocation we received to all of our other buddies at a markup price. We were the ones that took the risk at buying the full thing. We're gonna sell it out in little pieces of three to 30 million, and then they take a cut, they take their rip. This is traditionally how that process would go. It would be called doing a roadshow, and that would also involve a lot of legal instructioning yourself because going public on a market requires you to list on an exchange, and all those exchanges have all kinds of different requirements. If you're on the OTC markets, where these are smaller companies that don't make the cut for NASDAQ or for New York Stock Exchange, you have a certain level of diligence that you have to pass through. You have to work with specific market makers. You gotta figure out what your listing will look like from a PR and optics perspective, from an investor relations perspective. Then of course, 
if you want to work with one of these larger exchanges, maybe you're international, you want to work with Deutsche Börse or the London Stock Exchange or somewhere else, you're going to have to have specific criteria you need to hit in terms of volume, in terms of market cap, in terms of potentially fees that you need to pay in order to be listed on a platform. Now, that is potentially all variable when it comes to security tokens. That's how we traditionally saw this process going in the, the former markets. Now let's look at what INX did. So with INX, they followed the same level of legal with regards to what they actually put together as a document. Now, they're a foreign company doing a U.S. listing. So they did do a technically a separate document than the one that you might do if you were a U.S. company going onto the U.S. markets. But the diligence is basically the same. And then instead of necessarily working with an underwriter and working with an investment bank, they brokered their own deal. They got their community to invest as well as institutional investors and presumably larger venture firms to invest in their token offering directly through their platform as a broker themselves, which you may or may not even need to do because you're allowed to broker your own deal regardless. That's how fundraising happens in the traditional space for private companies. But they were able to do that and raise a significant chunk of money, which sure now did. is live on their marketplace. It does trade as a security. That's how it happened. With and INX. anybody can go and buy it, uh, I believe, at INX.com. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a great case study, Kyle. We haven't seen too many other tokenized IPOs. We've seen some public, uh, already publicly registered companies hmm. delist from traditional Wall Street to yep. security tokens like Overstock. Uh, and then delist again in that yeah. case. Um, but we haven't seen too many tokenized IPOs. I do believe there is gonna be a bright future because the scenario you just described is companies taking back control. You know, if you're a major company, you know, and sometimes you're, you're, you can be like a penny stock, but many times you're generally worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, and you're investing a large amount into creating liquidity. You're investing that large amount through the banks. The banks are the ones that saying, look, we are the gatekeepers to Wall Street. We are the gatekeepers to the retail investors and to the exchanges. So you gotta go through us. We'll help you raise money initially. And in many cases, we've even seen where the issuer, the company itself, uh, actually has been done a disservice by the broker, by the you know investment bank on record, think Goldman Sachs, but it doesn't have to be as big as someone like that. Uh, and if they misprice or if they misread how much they can uh, raise for you, they could actually hurt the company overall, or at least from a, a value perspective. So they make their cut essentially relying on the fact that you have to go through them. But what INX did was said, we're not going through them. And the closest thing other than a tokenized IPO that we've seen to that is called a direct listing. Direct listing per the, the name, you're directly going through to the exchanges. Someone like Spotify did this, a company that has millions of customers, a household name said, you know what? Why are we gonna go pay millions and tens of millions of dollars to the banks when we can just go to our customers and say, just go buy us, we're launching on this day. And so tokenization just enables an even greater capability because now you're not stuck on the Wall Street infrastructure. Right, so tokenization enables that control. It cuts out the banks on Wall Street. Yep. So some of those benefits that you now gain are you've got an on-chain security. Immediately, the brokers like INX and others are gonna be able to leverage features like instant settlement because the securities are on-chain, they're tokenized. You're gonna be able to give custody to the investor. When you and I purchase, say, Tesla or Apple on Wall Street, 
Our shares are held with a broker, which may be held by another broker or market maker and many other middlemen in between. We don't own our share necessarily. When it comes to security tokens, we can, and we can enable many other options like taking that and collateralizing it for a loan. Very difficult to do unless I have a large, large amount uh, of stock with a specific company where a bank will directly lend against it. But with a security token, we take back that control. What yeah. are the benefits do you like? It's, it, I think that what you really said there makes a ton of sense around cutting out middlemen. We talk about this all the time, whether it's blockchain, essentially allowing us to manage a cap table programmatically, whether it's clearing and settling a security programmatically, whether it's using fiat currencies, on-chain like with what DBS and India are exploring in their separate jurisdictions around settling these securities using fiat and how that transaction is much more streamlined or in this case in the capital formation events themselves being able to remove an industry player that may be taking one two three five ten percent who knows how much those percentages get exponentially larger on an absolute scale as that volume and continues to increase. So being able to cut them out is tens, hundreds, or billions of dollars that could be saved on these different financing opportunities. And I think obviously that's the biggest benefit for any of these players. It's almost one of those mutually assured destruction things where they're either all working on it together because they know that it could replace any of them, or the minute that one of them does it, they're all gonna have to face the music because of the fact that it will be drastically reducing the cost of capital for these origination events, which at the end of the day, if you're a bank, that's your job is to make money and to manage money efficiently to bring down your, your capital costs at scale. So that's really, I think, the, the biggest thing is being able to remove some of the middlemen, some of the compliance requirements around Dodd-Frank and the general accounting principles and everything that has to go into making sure that these events are followed, that compliance checks are maintained. But also, we can talk about the other benefits of the blockchain, the streamlined communication between parties. When you do have middlemen, which you can't remove them all, right? That you're not going to reinvent the entire system. So there are still going to be middlemen. Now you can actually communicate more effectively between them. So you're not only going to remove people, which gives more of the pie, but each individual player becomes more efficient. Their processes become more efficient. They become leaner teams as they need less individuals to actually maintain these things. There's less errors and mistakes and wire transfer issues. The ACH transfer doesn't take three days, it takes 30 seconds, so that that's time is money. And so that's really what happens is it speeds things up, which also drastically affects the bottom line. And then of course, there's the fraud angle. You look at regulators that are concerned around capital formation events, around fraud, around money laundering, around how insider trading and these types of events. Well, now we have a much better track of where the money's going. The paper trail is now a digital trail that is immutable in the sense that we can track and see how these things are performing. It may not be public. It may not be that you and I can go in, but at the same time, if the IMF needs to investigate Deutsche Börse for X, Y, and Z things, if those things had occurred on a distributed ledger, on a system of transactions that you can easily go through and check out, you're gonna be able to go through and see that. You're gonna be able to look exactly where this capital is coming from, who it is, where it's going, and how that event occurred over time, which makes a more efficient system. Now you don't have to have multiple year-long lawsuits. Now you don't need to have all of these issues happening, right? So it's all of these, I think, compiled efficiencies that 
all together create something that is incredibly more efficient, much cheaper for the average company, which then results in more capital being able to flow into the economy in a more trustful way and a more healthy way for the general economy. I think that for those reasons, it always gasses me up. I think you can hear it in my voice. Absolutely. No, I think you could probably go on forever. So I'm going to stop you. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, folks, that's exactly it. I don't think anyone's complaining about that. Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and everyone else, they have a grip on this. Tokenization cuts that out, leading to tons of savings between multiple parties, uh, mostly for the bottom line of the company, and gives control and new financial services capabilities. That's why we believe that the future of IPOs will be tokenized. We're going to see smaller companies take advantage of it because now it's less capital in order to take advantage of liquidity. And we're going to see bigger companies take control of their own IPO and leverage tokenization in order to do so. So hopefully you like the show. If you have any questions or feedback, Kyle and I were always available uh, to reach via Twitter, via LinkedIn, wherever you can find us. And of course, check out stm.co. It's got all the latest trading news, information. Uh, we've even got great research and media and the rest of our shows on YouTube. And of course, the What's Drippin' newsletter every Monday by Jonah Schulman. So hopefully you enjoyed the show and we'll catch you next week on Monday. Happy tokenizing.